This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. End-of-life experiences are proof of humanity's built-in, natural, and profoundly spiritual capacity for self-sustenance and self-healing, grace, and hope. Valeria Tellez interviews Dr. Christopher Kerr, the author of Death is But a Dream, Finding Hope and Meaning in End-of-Life Dreams. Christopher Kerr is the Chief Medical Officer and Chief Executive Officer for the Center for Hospice and Palliative Care in Buffalo, New York. Born and raised in Toronto, Canada, Chris earned his MD as well as a PhD in neurobiology. Outside of direct patient care, Chris's focus is in the area of patient advocacy. His passion is palliative care and a belief that such care should be throughout the continuum of illness. Under Dr. Kerr's medical leadership, Hospice Buffalo now serves 1,000 patients a day, half of whom receive services prior to hospice. Dr. Kerr's background in research has evolved from bench science towards the human experience of illness as witnessed from the bedside, specifically patients' dreams and visions at the end of life. Although medically ignored, these near-universal experiences often provide comfort and meaning, as well as insight into the life led and the death anticipated. To date, the research team at Hospice Buffalo has published multiple studies on this topic and documented over 1,500 end-of-life events, many of which are videotaped. This work was the subject of his TED Talk, which has been viewed over 3.3 million times. It has been the subject of reports on the BBC, in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic Monthly, Scientific American Mind, Huffington Post, and Psychology Today. It is also featured in a current docuseries on Netflix called Surviving Death and an upcoming PBS documentary called Death is But a Dream, airing April 2021. Dr. Kerr's work has also been published in a book, Death is But a Dream, by Penguin Random House, which was released in 2020 in multiple languages. Meet Dr. Christopher at drchristopherkerr.com. Here is the interview with Dr. Christopher Kerr. In your own words, who is Dr. Christopher Kerr? I'm a physician uh, who cares for adults and children with complex illness at the end of life. Um, I'm also a researcher, a scientist by training, in addition to being a medical doctor. And um, my work in research really has gone towards uh, trying to understand the experience uh, of illness and those who are facing the end of life. And that led to a very non-medical interpretation of the dying process, which led to a book and a documentary and such. 
what is spirituality to you and what is um, spiritual well-being? You mentioned that term actually in your book. Well, I, I, I guess I view it through a, a doctor's lens. Um, yeah. I think for me um, and from where the vantage point I have, I, I like to consider it in, in the context of this kind of the, 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 the non-traditional view or the non-medical uh, view of wellness, which is not defined by organ systems or functions, um, but by the person's experience, their inner, which includes their inner experiences, um, what they're interpreting and what they're feeling. Right. So it's, it's, um, the, 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 it's trying to understand their perspective and what their experiences are. So I'll be asking you a lot more questions about it. But for now, let me ask you this question. What do you think or feel is the purpose of the human experience? Hmm. Um, I think if we're listening to our patients, particularly those at the end of life, um, I think it's a positive story. And I think the preeminent themes um, are truthfully love and, and forgiveness. And that um, I think we're left with this idea that there's this interconnection between um, those we have loved during our life that seems to be uh, present and strong, whether they're here or not biologically, um, yeah. that the patients that we talk to at the end of life are, are very much attuned to their experiences during life, whether they were remote, remote or whether that person's living or dead. Yeah. Um, they're defined by and they're, um, they're comprised largely of, of those very, very important relationships. Is this something that you have come to believe in because of the experiences you went through, or you already had some of those beliefs in you? Oh, I think I think it really came from my patients. Um, it wasn't something that I actively sought, right. but when we started our studies and really asking people what they were experiencing towards the end of the life, end of life, it was just undeniable that these themes were um, were prevalent throughout. This idea that they were reuniting um, and feeling um, the presence and love and comfort uh, of people they had loved during their life. So you could be a man could be 95 years old. He may have lost his mother when he was five, 90 years removed. And, you know, it's her voice that he hears and um, her presence that he feels. That makes me think about dreams and visions throughout life. Some of us have that. Some of us have that ability to dream in such a way, not just when we are dying. They are called psychics or spiritual teachers or mediums. So I'm wondering, what is your interpretation of dreams in general? What do they mean exactly from your perspective? You know, I, I have trouble with that whole nomenclature because... Um, the one thing our patients will tell us, uh, and we've measured this in our studies, is that we call them dreams because that's the only reference point we have. Um, but what they'll be emphatic about is, no, no, these aren't, weren't like normal dreams. I don't normally recall my dreams. I don't normally dream. And we, we measure realism on a 1 to 10 scale, with 10 being the most realistic. Uh, the number most frequently cited was 10. Um, so I don't know where they fit. They're certainly atypical um, in that they feel virtual or lived uh, compared to other dreams. 
dreams can be too very uh, realistic because I have had the experience of dreaming, lucid dreams even. It's so real. Well, it goes into this whole idea of uh, lucid dreaming. And so one thing that happens in dying is um, sleep cycles and architecture changes dramatically. And um, so the dreams in those states, um, when sleep is fragmented particularly, they, they do feel lucid or real. Yes. Another question I have for you is, um, how did you come to this um, idea of doing this research, specific research? How did that start? What was the inspiration for that? Um, what had happened was um, the, 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 this had always been discussed in the humanities, this idea that people towards the end of the life were having very, these very intense dream experiences. And um, I was con I didn't really have uh, – wasn't pulled towards it, but what happened was I was taking care of patients starting in 1999 at hospice, and it was just so prevalent. And then I was trying to teach it and to other doctors. And – they would respond by saying, well, there's no evidence for it. So we originally did this. The work really is to put it in medical language, um, put some rigor behind it, quantify it, uh, validate it. And these were university-approved studies and published in peer-reviewed journals so that it would give it more validation. Um, and then what ended up happening was it ended up seeping into the non-medical community and going around the world. And um, in other words, it resonated with people. But its original intention was for medical education. My husband was the one who introduced you to me, your work. Uh, he watched somewhere and then he said, you have to interview him. <laughs> you have to. He was so excited about it. He lost a lot of people in his life. That's interesting how this gave him hope. Yeah, you know, I think that's the end take home point here is that these experiences are actually life affirming for me. So they don't deny the reality of death, but they almost transcend it. And in so doing, affirm life and lessen the fear of dying. And the most common response we get far and away is that they're, they're, they provide both meaning and comfort. We don't have to believe anything. It's not about the belief system. It's that the experience itself, it's uh, valid. And I love what you're doing. Absolutely love. Thank you again. Another question I have is uh, the misconceptions about death and dying. What are some of the greatest ones? Um, I think I think that that uh, that there the, there's a perception that it's predominated by a suffering state, and that it's actually a paradox. So why we what we see is physical lessening, but um, inside the person may be spiritually, psychologically very vibrant and present. And we've actually done some studies where we've looked at this idea of post-traumatic growth. So looking at dying as a trauma and could there be growth or positive within a negative experience. And what we found was that people who were having these experiences, were, which were far and away the majority, actually were, uh, were, were gaining, were developing spiritually in, in terms of insight, adapting, so that there's this human capacity to almost evolve um, uh, as spiritually or, or emotionally and psychologically while physically declining. Um, so there's this other aspect to dying um, that is the, the, that's more, there's more than, than what we see. You know, which kind of makes, which kind of makes sense because the end of life is a change in perspective and perception. And you're not going to worry about your taxes or whether you got your oil changed. You're going to think 
on these bigger things. And um, we think about traditionally our biggest our co- accomplishments for having lived, which is our relationships. Yeah, you're all experienced with the dying. I know your father died. So would you say that that was the starting point of doing what you do? No, it's actually... It was actually the point of which I tried to, uh, uh, it was a point of aversion. Mm, the opposite. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was, um, I, I think I was more death phobic and frightened and traumatized having lost a parent at a young age. Um, at the same time, you know, you can't help but wonder life has full circles in it. And here I am studying the thing that I, uh, I, it was so formative to me when I was young, um, so I don't know if there's coincidences or not, but here I am. In your book, you say end-of-life experiences are proof of humanity's built-in, natural, and profoundly spiritual capacity for self-sustenance and self-healing, grace, and hope. You said a lot more than that, but I have that section here. And you also say a current medical model reflects a limited view of the totality of the dying experience. Is this changing somehow, Dr. Christopher, at this point? No, I'm not sure it is, Uh, Mm -hmm. not from the medical perspective. So what we've done is ever more medicalized dying. And um, we, we, uh, we're death-denying and death-defying medically. And what we've done inadvertently is take dying um, from what it, what it really is, which is a human experience. It's more than a medical phenomena. It's more than a medical paradigm to be solved. It's, it is ultimately uh, the closing of a life which has nothing to do with kidney or lung function. It has to do um, with having lived and our relationships. And if we define it through a medical lens only, we sterilize um, what is an otherwise rich process. Do you plan to uh, present this perspective to governments or somehow change uh, or try to change the laws when it comes to the yeah I, you know I don't I, I don't have an enormous faith in changing um, medical culture which is actually ever more fragmented and subspecialized I think what is happening though is there's a movement afoot uh, with our generation to reclaim dying um, and you see this all the time. There's ever more conversations, death cafes, death doulas, where people don't want the doctor's death anymore. Uh, they want something else. They want to be sick in the comfort of their homes, etc. And um, so I think that I don't know as we're changing, but I certainly think we're part of a larger conversation that seems to be occurring naturally, which is really healthy. In a way, you're saying it's up to us, really, to carry on with the conversation and make that change ourselves. I agree. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? Choose um, to self-govern, to follow your best instincts and impulses, uh, to self-determine. Yeah, I love that. And I agree a thousand percent again. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? Hmm find commonality. Um, We've gotten remarkably good, particularly over the last so many years, at focusing on uh, the elements that divide us. And 
um, while we're so focused on differences, we're not able to solve collective problems. Could be anything. You know, if we're on the political, social front, if we're if we're focused on all of these uh, political issues of, of dissent, then we don't address larger issues of uh, of, of, of say climate change. Um, yeah. You know, it's just what it is. I mean, it's uh, we see it everywhere. The opening of your book, you have this note about strong women. I love that, of course, <laughs> being a woman. Beautiful to read that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Why did you choose to become a hospice doctor, Dr. Christopher? Uh, I don't know if I chose it or it chose me. It's an <laughs> yes. accident. Right. I was actually um, training as a cardiologist, and I needed to um, make to moonlight to make some more money while I was training. Yeah. And um, I saw an ad in the newspaper. So I, I was meant to do this just as a part-time Saturday gig. And after doing it for a few months, realized this, this was the most uh, profoundly meaningful thing I'd done as a physician. Um, particularly in today's climate where you are so rushed and so um, squeezed in terms of how you can react, relate to people. Visits are 20 minutes, etc. cetera. Yeah. Where hospice, the expectation is you get to know your patients as people. You see them in their homes, in the context of their lives, their families. Yeah. So it becomes this richer experience, and that was just such a, um, a a privilege in today's, you know, practice environment. And I wonder why so many of us have this fear. I'm not sure if it, it must be related to fear of having our family members dying at home. Why so many of us choose not to do that? I think in part because nobody tells us what it's not. So, in other words, if you've say that you're going to be caring for somebody who's dying immediately that's a void that's filled with horror of what could happen you know and the truth is nature largely takes care of itself and there's less to be feared of than um than what we imagine but nobody has those conversations as to what to expect if there are more so we see people who come from the hospital for example they'll know how much it costs to park for half an hour and where to buy the coffee and how much it costs, but they won't actually know what, how their loved one is going to die and what they're going to need. So we, um, it's an, it becomes an unknown, an unnecessary unknown that we become fearful of, which is understandable. Yeah, it is understandable. You're right. So it takes really exposure to that, not just the experience. Okay, it requires a more honest dialogue and... Um, for our clinicians to go to those uncomfortable spaces. Uh, and, um, you know, we got to quit treating dying as though it's medical failure and uh, have a more honest um, ownership of the process. And as far as the stories of the people who have passed on and their dreams and visions, which experience have touched you the most? Let's say it was the most powerful one. Oh boy, you know, I, I, I think the children, uh, in many ways, because they do this differently, more honestly, um, and they're more open to be self-informed by these experiences and soothed. Right. Uh, yeah. Would you like to share one of these stories? Sure. I, you know, there's a couple in the book, and they're similar in that, you know, the most common themes for adults is that somebody who 
loves them, uh, who they've lost returns, and this idea of reunion. And in children, they often haven't known someone who's died, um, but they've known pets. And the pets often return to them, the animals, and carry the same message, which in the children's own words were uh, that they signif- the, the presence of the animals signified that they weren't alone and they were loved. Um, there's another young girl who was raised by a single mother whose concern was, you know, who am I without my, how am I without my mother? And she uh, instead dreams of her mother's deceased friend in her mother's room playing with her drapes. Again, she's loved and she's not alone. So whatever wounds we seem to carry and fears we seem to have um, get addressed uh, in some deeper way. And all the children were just incredibly, are just incredibly articulate. Uh, And there's obviously more openness to receive and to share. So the, the children are very special, I think. So dying and living, it's just one thing together, no separation from my perspective. And I love your point of view, too. So your book is titled Death is But a Dream, Finding Hope and Meaning in the End of Life Dreams. The ending questions. Before I ask them, Dr. Christopher, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? No, I, I, I would just encourage people to... Um, Hearing me speak doesn't do it justice. It's it's really wonderful to um, hear and see the patients, and we have lots of videos. The videos were originally taken to because I knew people had to hear from the patients themselves to see that they weren't confused and they sound like you and I. Of course, those those clips became the basis of a Netflix series as well as a PBS special. Uh, but they're on my website, which is Doctor Dr. Christopher with a C. Kerr, the ending questions, uh, let me see. Yeah, let me ask you this one. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? No. <laughs> uh, that's a tough one. Um, well, I, I think it's equatable to uh, fulfillment and, um, and love, I would imagine. Um, uh, that if you feel fulfilled, and that includes in all dimensions, be it your health, psychological and physical and spiritual, um, your relationships. I think those are the hallmarks um, of success. Yeah, thank you for that message, an important message. Another question I have is, what was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life as of today? (laughs) Um, That to be a good doctor meant also being able to care for yourself. Mm, Yeah. Self-love, self-care. Yes. Well, that you couldn't care for others until you uh, managed yourself, I suppose. Yeah. How are you doing in the uh, arena? So, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm in the slow learners class. <laughs> okay. We'll talk again a year from now, and I'll ask you the same question. <laughs> okay. That sounds fair. And two more questions for you. If you knew you would die, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? If, if, if I had a limited life expectancy? Yes. If you knew, let's say, a month from now, two months, you wouldn't be here no. anymore. No, you know, I wouldn't. I, mm. I, I, I like my life has lots of meaning, purpose, and love, and good. That's how it comes across to me. <laughs> yes, a life well lived, except for the self-care, self-love, which I'll hold, on, <laughs> hold you, you on to that. <laughs> Thank you. 
Uh, the last question is, what are three things about life that you know for sure as of this moment? That, um, that, that, that I think uh, love is around us and it's attainable. Um, it can be cultivated. It can be treasured. I think as is wisdom. I think learning is never ending. Uh, and I think giving is more important than receiving. Mm. Yes, a billion times <laughs> to love. Um, yeah, and giving, which is part of love. Thank you so much, Dr. Christopher, for your wisdom, uh, timeless wisdom from my perspective, your beautiful work, your presence, and everything else in between. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Sure. As I said, the website is drchristopherkerr.com. Um, there's a PBS World special called Death is But a Dream. It's coming out on April 15th. And a book by Penguin Random House of the same, with the same title is called Death is But a Dream. Wonderful. Thank you again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Bye for now, Dr. Christopher. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Christopher Kerr and his work, please visit drchristopherkerr.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.